Sit down and buckle up. It's time for the Pirate Monk Podcast. Welcome to another episode of the Pirate Monk Podcast. Hey, I'm Nate Larkin, joining you from, well, I'm now in Amelia Island, Florida. Aaron, I was under the impression that you were in California. Last I heard, you were headed west, making a stop someplace in New Mexico, I think, to hang out with uh, friends of ours there. But where are you today? I'm home. We got home. We uh, drove across, brought brought my son and his uh, girlfriend back to Tennessee, where they uh, they are here for the indefinite future, as the okay. future is often indefinite. So <laughs> it is, it is, it's been a couple days of having five of us in the house again. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm excited because our house was way too empty. So we had two spare bedrooms and a giant room upstairs for them to create a little living room to hang out in. And so it's really great. I will say, you know, I went from six people to three people and now back to five people. And my cooking was horrible for three of us. I had so many leftovers. It was ridiculous. Oh, yeah, yeah, and, yeah, yeah. And just last night I was cooking and standing there in the kitchen going, I I just have no idea at this moment how much pasta to cook for this. <laughs> so I, was, <laughs> I was close. I was proud of myself. Uh, but yeah, it is it is like a whole different thing. And it's weird to have my son here and not think, oh, he's just visiting for a week or two. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's a mental. It is a, just screwing with my mind. Well, I'm so glad that Samuel's home. He's, you know, he, it, it was tough when he left. It's got to be great that he's come back. How long was he? How long was he uh, out in California? Boy, I want to say it's been like two and a half to close to three years now. Uh-huh. uh-huh. So it's, it has been a while. And uh, yeah. yeah, to only get to see him. Once every year or so, this is, this is great. So, well, I've got grandkids here in Florida that I get to see typically once a year when we come down. And so we come down and we spend a little time. We're here for the month in Amelia Island. And, uh, yeah, I don't want to bore the listeners with grandparents stories, but. You're feeling like that's such a good idea as schools are closed today because of ice on the roads and freezing temperatures and you're sitting in 75 degree weather at the beach. Yeah, I heard all about that. Yeah, yeah. You said it's very important for us to see them for a month. And uh, it's just purely coincidental that we choose uh, February. Yeah, yeah. It's it's a coincidence. (laughs) Easier to get down there or something like that. Well, I am excited about our guest today. Nobody wants to hear about our silly lives. Uh, We want to get to our guest. Uh, We have a a dual interesting thing. We have an athlete and a woman. And these are not two separate people, but the same person. Mm -hmm. And it's been a Mm -hmm. while since we have had an athlete on the show. And we always love to hear the perspective from the ladies. Yep. And it's a great conversation. You're going to love this one when we return on the Pirate Monk Podcast.
Welcome back to the Pirate Monk Podcast. We have a great guest this week. She is a former collegiate athlete, a standout at the national level. I think the only athlete in LSU history to be both homecoming queen and an athlete at the same time. Is that is that true, Mo? As far as I know, up until when I was crowned, that was true. If anyone's won it since, I, I'm just going to plead ignorance on it. We'll say I'm the only one ever. Wow. Okay. All right. Uh, but she has a remarkable story. She is a writer. She's a speaker, author of a book, her newest book, Sex, Jesus, and the Conversations the Church Forgot. Is that is the latest one or just- is, there, is there one after that? There's one more after that. My most- oh, is it really? Okay. Yeah. I'm behind. The, I'm behind. No, what, that's what's okay. the newest one? The newest one is uh, Fully Known, An Invitation to True Intimacy with God. But I will say Sex, Jesus, and the Conversations the Church Forgot seemed to really create the biggest waves in in the the body of Christ, the church community. So, Why, why, why is that? Why, why do you think that book? Because that was well, your second Jesus book. And Jesus just butted up against each other on the cover. I think it scared and shocked everybody. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh! Are we are we are we under the delusion in the church that Jesus was a Ken doll? Is that what this it, is about? It's been fascinating to travel the country, ministering in the space of sexual brokenness and healing, and see the many variations of ways that people associate our sexuality and our, our creator and our, who we are as his created beings. There are some who avoid it like the plague. There are some who act like it's the most taboo thing. There are some who cringe if you dare mention it in case their children's ears hear it, not realizing <laughs> just how young children are exposed to more than you know they might imagine. And then there are people on the total opposite end of the spectrum. So oh. it, I think it was just... The time was right when that book released. People were hungry and there weren't many voices, maybe especially in my demographic as a younger female, really boldly speaking into um, these truths of, of sexual brokenness and the reality of who Jesus is in light of it and it being biblically rooted. So it just seemed to really, um, yeah, just kind of set off fireworks and and it's been like wildfire ever since. Well, let's get to the background. And if we start talking about anything too rough, we'll have Nate put on his earmuffs and, and then we'll tell him <laughs> when to come back. So you grew up in a Christian home. Yes. Um, and was that a good thing when you were younger? And at what point did that become the conflicting thing that I'm guessing, like every guest, it turns into performance pharisaic Christian home either coming from the church or parents, but from a young age, like what was this dynamic like in your home? You know, it was very interesting because I, I mean, I love my mom and my dad. They, they worked hard to instill in me what it meant to be a godly woman. They worked hard to instill, you know, the, the disciplines of, of gathering with the fellowship. It it wasn't, it wasn't just that we claimed Christian because we were in the Bible Belt in Georgia, and then didn't live it or apply it at all. It really was an integrated layer woven into my upbringing that informed many areas of our lives, right? But I think the challenge was 
especially when it came to the conversations of sex or sexuality, um, it, it, it felt like that weird territory, right? Like the uncertainty kind of of how we navigate it. My mom was ready and apt to communicate, but I was in and out to how much I wanted to hear my mm-hmm. dad. I, I witnessed and stumbled in upon many times in an active addiction to pornography and, you know, out of the arms of my mom many nights. Um, and so I, I, heard and believed one thing and then behind closed doors had the awkwardness of navigating the reality of how that faith informed sexuality as well as this hypocrisy in a sense or this brokenness that I was kind of constantly witnessing too of these these sexual struggles in my in my father's life maybe just even understood as a child kind of disconnect between mom and dad in various ways and so it was all kind of confusing how how old how old were you when when that first happened or started happening where you were all of a sudden aware of this thing called pornography right through your dad's struggles yeah i believe i was 8 years old when i came across my first piece of of real graphic pornography and it was on a novelty poker card like a novelty playing card that fell out of the back of my dad's uh, truck. He would keep all these papers and, you know, magazines and junk kind of wadded behind the seats of his little two-seater truck. And I pulled open the door one day and those wads of stuff fell out and taking things up to push them back in. I saw some of the first most graphic images. And um, it's really interesting because even as an eight-year-old, uh, there was an immediate understanding that I shouldn't be seeing this that this wasn't my mommy, that this wasn't my daddy. Why did my daddy have this? There there was this immediate, oh, like my stomach was going to come out of my throat, right? Like this mm-hmm. tension. And yet, because I was so shocked, because I then shoved it back in the seat and, and pretended to my dad to act like I hadn't seen anything, because I wasn't seeking understanding by way of conversation, I didn't know if there was a safe place to talk about it, much less what to talk about at such a young age, this shame and this tension kind of progressively, actually very quickly grew into this interest and this curiosity. Well, what was Mm -hmm. this that I had seen? Why did it make me feel some kind of way? Like I knew it felt wrong, but it didn't feel all wrong. I started seeking out, um, this stuff and searching through my dad's things. I had, you know, an older neighbor up the street that started to expose me to many things. And um, it's almost like that kickstarted this curiosity that became like sirens calling from a cliff. It, mm-hmm. it looked so appealing and enticing and interesting. And yet it was calling me really to my death. <laughs> it was calling me to death in so many ways in my life but it seemed so enticing Um, and it just really began to kind of compound and grow from there. It feels like there's a danger. There's uh, a danger attached to that because regardless of you seeing that stuff, it it reminds me of, uh, there are so many questions within the church. You're not supposed to ask so many doubts. You're not supposed to have, there's kind of these lines And sexual curiosity is a normal part of any girl or boy growing up. 
But if it doesn't have the right context, and again, this is in how the conversations are happening, Mm -hmm. that it becomes a horrible catch-22 where it's inevitable but has no place to go if you don't build the container to put it in. Right. And then you get the whole, and I'm curious for you as a woman, because I think this is harder for women, that within the church, virginity is this, is elevated to such a sta- such a height of a standard of Christianity, discipleship, being good, mm-hmm. which sex is important. But when it becomes all important, then if you make any mistakes, you can never go back. So now you're just screwed. Right. And so, yeah, sorry, unintended, but anyways, uh, so what, what was your experience as you were having these curiosities, not necessarily having conversations explaining it. And then it sounds like in the church, having this idea of virginity and sexuality. Tell us about that. Yeah. It wasn't long after I was exposed and, you know, had the neighbor up the street taken me to our fort in the neighborhood and, you know, telling me about everything she knew. And it it all seemed once that exposure happened and the curiosity began to grow, it was just like, kind of like through a fire hose. And when you begin seeking it out, you could find it all over the place. Right. And so um, it wasn't terribly long after that, that I, I remember doing this project for school. And I think I was assigned to snakes. Like I was doing a trifold board, right. Of the life and uh-huh, the, yeah. you know, cycle of snakes. And and I got to the reproduction part and it, this was pre disco jump on Google. I, I was really struggling to figure out how to honestly, how snakes have sex. It's a great mystery. Who even knows even still, I don't, but I remember going to my mom and asking her about this and and I'm sure I began just using words and terms and expressions that kind of shocked her because she wasn't aware of how much I had been exposed to. Um, and I remember her sitting down. And in some ways, I'm like, I look back and I don't blame her. I have a seven-year-old, a five-year-old, a three-year-old, and a one-year-old now. And I'm like, if at such a young age, they came to me with some of the things I probably came to my mom with, I, I don't blame her for fumbling over her words a bit. Um, but she, she kind of stopped me and paused and she began to speak into, I think a hope of like a simple foundation laying explanation. She said, you know, God desires that we be virgins when we're married. And I was a virgin when I married your father and your father was a virgin when he married me. And, um, I think she was intending to go on in deeper explanation, but I remember standing up in that moment and like making my bold proclamation. Well, if you and daddy were virgins, if that's what God wants, then I too will be a virgin when I get married. And it's like that. I call it the vain virginity vow, that it seems like they're almost, Mm -hmm. you know, encouraged in church culture to make. But there was no actual sure foundation, solid rock laid of understanding of the greater call of God in and over our lives, that we walk in purity, that we be transformed, that our hearts be transformed and that we be pure in our actions, our thoughts, our words, what we take in, right? That that our standard be different. For me, making that vain virginity vow was this works-based answer to what is really a life surrender question. God's saying, 
I want all of you, mind, heart, body, soul, the holistic nature of who you are. I desire all of you. Um, And yet when sex is poorly explained or like you said, sort of exalted or never spoken of, right? Like totally stifled. It becomes this piece to a much bigger puzzle, but this piece that suddenly we have this works-minded framework around. And so my declaration became that I'll be a virgin, not super hard to keep when you're nine, but much more challenging when you start maturing and temptation and peer interaction, Mm -hmm. right? And the question just quickly became what it becomes in so many people's hearts. Okay, I said I'd be a virgin, but like how far is too far? Like yeah. what mm-hmm. counts? What now, doesn't count? Now you're now you're marginalizing everything with yeah, yeah. exactly our scale right our human desire to scale basically what I think is probably the deeper hard question of like how much can I get away with and not go to hell <laughs> like right. how much can, how far can I push the envelope right and that's never God's desire it's the wrong question it the his wrong question. desire is that our heart cry would be, how close can I draw near to you, God? How much can I be transformed into your very likeness? How much can your love redefine my life, right? But when we don't have that holistic framework, and the question for many of us is like, what's too far? And then once we push that envelope and we go over, it's like, well, I'm used goods. It's like, what's the point of going back? And that is the struggle. Right. When when you're talking about that, I, I'm just when you're talking about how close can I draw to you and your love versus how close can I get to these lines and limits mm-hmm. and it, I, I consider how much our sexuality is identity forming for us right. at, at all ages, but especially young ages, mm-hmm. whether it's an identity because I'm desired and wanted whether it's an identity because I have a group, I'm like them, this is my desire and they have this desire. So now I have community, not by virtue of the people, but by a sexual desire. And that how close can I draw to you is the true seeking of an identity that comes from the perfect love of a father. And that's just so different. How old are you? Right now I'm 33. So you grew up, very differently than me and Nate. And I, I think some of the older listeners right now, mm-hmm. uh, I am thankful to have spent time with high schoolers, probably about the time that you were in high school and seeing changes. That was really, those, those were some big changes as mm-hmm. kids were starting to send each other messages on the computer that they wouldn't have sent otherwise being exposed sure. to stuff. Um, but the, there was a culture where the adults were still talking in church culture like it was 1970. Right. And kids or were... Or 1950 in my it, it really isn't... Yeah, it, it didn't change much in a lot of ways in this area. Mm-hmm. And the parents had no idea that things like kids going to a party and being like, well, yeah, I had oral sex with this guy, but it wasn't... We're not together. It was, And it wasn't real. It was just that. Right. To which the adults are like, What? That is the way these kids are experiencing this. And your age is kind of at the front of that, which must have made this even harder because honestly, I still think that adults 
uh, our age have no idea the level to which the internet exposure and chatting and all those things have changed the way young people think about sex. So tell us about how you entering into high school, what's happening there with this curiosity and the information you've been given in the church. Yeah. Well, you know, it's, it's just listening to you say that makes me think even now of the present wave we're in where Mm -hmm. what the young people now in this current generation are exposed to are doing are normalizing mm-hmm. it makes even my head spin so i can't even imagine <laughs> how old mom. people like us must feel okay your yeah. mom right. yes your mom i mean true right <laughs> and you you two old guys it's, uh, it's just <laughs> it is it's really this constant cycle that i see that honestly it permeates time. I mean, the word of God says there's no temptation that's overtaken us that is not common to man. I remember after releasing Sex Jesus and the conversations at church forgot, my husband's grandmother called me. And I thought, oh no, oh no, <laughs> she's right. What is she going to say? And she, she actually thanked me for writing it and began to open up about her own story of being conceived out of wedlock in her generation, mm-hmm. that being of great shame, a shame upon her family, like the whole journey for her own generation. I thought, wow, these issues are nothing new. And and the cycle that we keep seeing is sin, because we're born in iniquity and mm-hmm. <laughs> wrapped up in flesh full of desires. And, you know, we have sin and then we're silenced by shame. And so we don't communicate to the next generation, though the word of God clearly instructs us to, right? And so then it leads the next generation into this sin. They're then silenced by shame. They don't communicate to the next generation. And it's just this cyclical generational cycle. And so much of it roots in this silence that is just, I see like tape over the mouth with the word shame written on it. This shame that silences people because sexual sin, I think because it is so tied to our identity, it carries such an intense shame that people carry things to the grave rather than ever finding freedom. People mm-hmm. will hold things in silence and, and be tormented their whole lives rather than opening up in, in confession to another and in prayer, right? I, I think the enemy has really convinced us that the shame associated with sexual sin is more powerful than the grace of God at work in our life and the power of Christ to set captives free. And so... I think it's important that what you, the work you all are doing and just the work that many are doing in this space of giving voice to these issues, because that's what um, leaves the generation ahead seemingly ignorant to what the current generation is navigating. Because we walked through our own stuff. It seemed wild. We didn't think anybody else was struggling with porn or any other woman or anything So we stayed silent and then we avoid the conversations with the next generation, or we don't even know how to healthfully have them because we haven't found freedom or healing ourselves. And so I, I, I see that as this continued issue and 
it can't it can't be so that that the next generation coming up is just as ignorant to the devices of the adversary, right? I mean, if we're going to have walked through what we walked through, it better be for the glory of God, right? It better be used mm-hmm. for the the emancipation of those who are enslaved around mm-hmm. us that we can reach with hope, right? And with testimony. And I don't think in high school I was hearing any of those testimonies. Well, no, I I, 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 I wanted to ask you about that in particular because, and, and I could be very wrong, so I'm throwing this out for you to correct me if I'm wrong. There are so many more young women that are experiencing addiction to pornography now but I feel like it's like 10 to 20 years behind where the guys are at as far as the shame. Oh, we can't talk about it. And women thinking it's only me kind of like guys did because guys had this weird thing where it was like, Hey, dads would get a subscription to playboy for their son when they came a certain age and it was a right of manhood, but then it still carried shame. So that was bullshit. Um, so as a woman, how do you think that is different for people coming to tell those stories? Or do you think it is? Am I wrong? Are women just all about it now? No, I, I think there's this beautiful grace upon women, as I've witnessed, that we actually hunger for the grit. We hunger for the deep conversations. We hunger for the deep things of God. And we see this kind of female church culture that's like, you are beloved and you are a princess. And most women actually are like, I don't need the fluff. Give me the meat. Like, give me some (laughs) death. And so it's, it's very interesting because as hungry as women are for the depth, the truth, the power at work, um, they're, they're equally, I think, is gripped by the weight of shame that they could be caught up in something like pornography or sexual deviance or, you know, whatever it may be. So it's really interesting where you have the women who are bound by this. The shame is so intense. They will come whisper to me after a conference. I had no idea other women dealt with this. Like the shame is Mm -hmm. so intense when they're bound up, they are bound. But then the grit and that grace is so powerful when they get set free. I see this army of women raising up their voices, speaking truth, testifying, reaching out. Like I see this wave of women once set free, really moving in power. But I think you just see intensity on both ends of the spectrum, right? And so the the fascinating part of navigating these conversations in this present age and time is you you get to see that process in between, like where they're so bound up and then someone just gives up and speaks about it as boldly and clearly and powerfully as mm-hmm. as you would. And and the wow factor, you watch, you watch shame fall off of them. You watch weight mm-hmm. fall off of them. Like tangibly, you can see it on them. And so I don't know what that's like in the men, in the circle of, you know, men 
navigating this with one another. But I think there's something powerful about women's voices rising up on behalf of women in this space and um, us just recognizing, again, there's no temptation that's that's uncommon here. We are sexual beings as well, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> equally so and, and different and uniquely, but, but that's the part of who we were designed to be also. And so to think that that negates our wrestling with any given issue is just silly, right? And it's amazing to watch the weight fall off of women when they realize, oh, I'm I'm not actually alone in this. You just touched on a foundational thing. And Nate, I want to hear what you're thinking about all this. Uh, There was that idea that sex is a man's need. He has a need. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the second you remove women from being sexual beings, you then it becomes odd if a woman would right. be tempted or if she desired. She's now the aberrant weirdo, mm-hmm. where it was never true. It was right. it was ridiculous. But, but man, that is an interesting foundation. Nate, what are you hearing in all of this? Well, I, I'm just, first of all, I... Um, I Love the look on your face. It's a shame the listeners can't see it. When uh, the delight on your face when you're describing watching women realize that they're not alone, that this shame has been imposed on them, uh, and just by telling the story, telling your own story, to see that shame fall away and people step toward the light and toward freedom, it is the most beautiful, exhilarating. Uh, experience. Uh, I the subtitle to the book. Uh, actually, I guess it's the tail. Uh, no, I, I guess it's the whole. It's the, the tail end of the entire title. <laughs> <laughs> Sex, Jesus, and the conversations the church forgot. Uh, was there a time, do you think, when it was natural for the church to, ha- for for Christians, for parents to have these conversations with kids? Was was there a time when the church knew how to do it? That's a great question. That's a really great question. I think um, it would vary when you look at various cultures, when mm-hmm. you look at you know various points in history. I see the instruction in the word of God to Mm -hmm. teach our children of the ways of God, of the heart of God, right? As we lie down, as we rise in our goings and our comings, this invitation to this rhythmic conversation. Mm -hmm. And when we really get to the heart of, of sexuality, the heart of who we are as sexual beings, it's all interwoven with God's great design and, and the gospel truth. And so I see, I would, I hope, I believe there were points in history before things became as confusing mm-hmm. and undating, overwhelming where there were more unified family structures, multi-generational family structures at various points in history. 
Um, And there was the time and the space and the margin to be having greater and deeper conversations, even in the daily labors, right? I mean, I think women working in the home, training their daughters, the men in the fields with their sons, like, I would really like to think from biblical times on, there were moments in history where people were cultivating these conversations in a holistic sense, because I do believe there were eras in which the holistic raising up of a child was an appreciated, valued, it was an investment of value, right? Mm -hmm. It it was a heritage, a legacy to the family. And so I would hope there were times where these things were navigated in greater depth. I think the more we move forward in in the course of history, um, the more we see this continued hastened pace of life, these distractions, these this busyness, this consumption, and the, the things of simplicity kind of being lost. Um, yeah. And I think the church, it's taken many cues as to why it's forgotten many important conversations and really the heart of the gospel in it all. But I think because the world has become so noisy, the conversation's so complex the Pandora's box continually mm-hmm. opened. The church yeah. on many fronts has felt inundated and overwhelmed. Yeah. Then when they do open their mouth on the topic, they're canceled or they're scrutinized right. or they're, you know, face the persecution that we're told will come. But because it's things have been made so complex, I think the church has shrunk back. Um, well, well, let's add this to that thought because you're touching on two things that are important that a lot, a lot of changes came with the Victorian era and, and what you just described, I'm thinking of almost every culture for thousands of years, there were not separate bedrooms. Everyone was in. Right. And so parents having sex would happen. uh, I assume they tried to, be uh, quiet and whatever, but kids were aware because it was just part of life. So then it naturally was a, it, it was not weird. There's a, right. there's a door there that's closed on Saturday mornings. Right. And you're not supposed to go bother your parents. Mm-hmm. And later you figure out, Oh, my parents have sex on Saturday mornings. And that's awkward to think about. So there's that part that there was just a normal flow to the life you were talking about with the intergenerational and people were in their lives. Right. But the other was at some point, Sunday school taught our kids what to think about God. Mm-hmm. Public school teaches our kids what to think about other things. Right. Culture, and you're talking about how it's getting more complicated. And so the, the voice of the parents and family seems to be removed step by step. And if the parents interfere with the culture's teaching of the child, right. that's bad. Right, right. Yeah, there's there's threat almost against that. It is it has become increasingly radical to be rhythmic, present, biblically rooted voices in children's lives. I mean, it's like, how dare we challenge the programming taking place in our nation? I just um, I think it is a, a place that again, to kind of harken back to what we were saying earlier, 
where individual healing, understanding, restoration has to occur in each of us so that we can rightly and clearly be that voice in our children's lives. So we take it seriously and even understand that we should be. That's like a big step for some people. You, mm-hmm. This is your responsibility to be this voice that is shaping them in truth, to be laying the foundations and building upon them. Even in regard to sexuality and sex, it's just, it's another part of God's great creation. And so why we bought into this taboo thing that like the father has a talk with the son at 17, it's a one time the talk. It's so silly. I began talking to my children, laying sure foundations when I mean my oldest was hardly two. And there was a mm-hmm. moment where the Holy Spirit really paused, gave me pause and and reminded me that how I responded to what was happening was going to formatively shape how she saw things. Uh, it was just the day she had stumbled in in the bathroom and we had a glass shower and she'd just taken a vested interest in my husband. And he's like, poor guy trying to shield himself and turn. But I remember the Holy Spirit even pausing me then and saying, how you respond right now is going to be formative for her. Because knee jerk wanted to say, oh, no, 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 look away, look away, you know. And that would have imposed upon her a shame to something that is natural. But also it was an opportunity to start laying foundational blocks. And I thought, Lord, I don't want to. She's not even two. (laughs) And he was like, hey, you're already laying foundations and building her up when it comes to faith, when it comes to her worth, when it comes to many manner of things, this is another piece to the puzzle. So I remember just diverting her attention calmly and starting with this basic conversation point of, wow, that's so interesting. Daddy, He's so different from you and I. God is so creative. Daddy's a boy. We are girls. So foundational, right? And I'm I'm sure that made your husband just feel completely comfortable in that moment to be the model of the different. I know. I I, I got her out of the bathroom. Just never examine him again. But, uh, you know, I think there's so many people that because we aren't walking in healing or wholeness, the thought of navigating these conversations with our children doesn't bring an excitement of the mandate. It brings this nervousness. Well, when do I start? Well, what do I say? Well, how do I know? Well, what? It, and it's it's a reflection of our own uneasiness internally. Mm-hmm, yeah. mm-hmm. Um, and so that healing and wholeness has to happen internally, so that we'll take up the mantle of cultivating these conversations and becoming that voice in our children's lives that they actually come to with questions that when they're taught X, Y, or Z in the school, they come wrestle with that with mom and dad, you know, Hey, this is really Mm -hmm. different from what we've already already talked about. You know, when, when they have porn exposed to them on the friend's iPad on the school bus, they're able to say, you know what? I'm, I'm not going to partake in that because I mean, they're not going to word it like that, but <laughs> that that's not for me. And it shouldn't be mm-hmm. for you either. That That's a person. That's someone's son or daughter. This is not what we, this is not what I do. And actually become leaders in the culture versus conform to the culture because they're already in the safe place of their home, having a renewal of the mind, being taught, being spoken to, understanding, right? And mm-hmm. 
And that's just a, it's a mandate to the parent, but we have to be healed and whole to even know how to carry that. Well, so speaking of that, when did you come to the point that you said this meeting of these needs in my life through pornography, through any of these other avenues that I've been self-soothing, what brought you to the point that you said, this isn't helpful. And you came to the place to say, I'm actually finding healing and more satisfying joy by drawing closer to my father. Yeah. Um, I think we'd be lying if we didn't say that even in the throes of sin, even pre-Jesus, when I was wrapped up in all of these things, I'm not talking about pre-hearing about Jesus. I'm talking Mm -hmm. about pre my personal encounter with Jesus, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah wrapped up in all these things, I would be lying if I didn't say I knew in my heart of hearts, the fruit was bad, right? There might be momentary pleasure. There might be the rush. There might be the things Sin feels good sometimes. Right. But I always knew in the aftermath, it didn't complete me. It didn't make me feel whole. It didn't bring me any more than a momentary satisfaction. Right. And so even in even out of Christ, I still could discern what was just bad fruit. Um, and, and as addiction got deeper and as things got more perverse to get the same rush and as, you know, my sexual brokenness acted itself out in many ways, there was only like the increasing awareness of my own depravity. Like I wasn't happy. I wasn't Mm -hmm. satisfied. I wasn't fulfilled. And so having all of that building in the moment that Christ truly just intersected my life. I mean, an encounter that transformed my heart, his sustaining love, his mercy. It was overwhelming to me. I don't even have the time to go into the testimony of how I truly came to know Christ. But because I was the adulteress to be stoned, because I was the Samaritan woman cloaked in shame there at the well, that encounter with his mercy was like overwhelming to me. Hmm. And so encountering that grace that called me redeemed me, the addict to porn for 10 plus years, the one with a list of people a mile long that I'd given myself away to yet the hypocrite waving that virginity banner and yet all over the place like me you would call redeemed that love shifted something in me and one of the very first things that the lord began to actually minister to in my heart when i was really open to him convicting me because when we, when we come into Christ, when we get the Holy Spirit, it's not condemnation any longer. It's, it's conviction. It's a, it's a call back to, hey, I have more for you than this. The conviction was like stung, but was so awesome. I couldn't believe God cared to keep yeah. healing me, right? That I, I pretty quickly, he called me into what I called an intimacy fast, um, I called it kissless till next Christmas. It was a year long commitment to just walk <laughs> in this like monogamous relationship with the Lord. It was actually implementing those disciplines that gave me the margin uh, of not just I'm texting my next person. I'm looking for my next boyfriend. Like it, those disciplines cleared the space to say, there is something better. I'm a whole mess, but I've, I've met the love 
that calls me redeemed. And so let me prioritize that, right? What does the scripture say? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, strength. I was like, well, all means all. So anything else stealing my affections right now, it has to take a back seat. Um, and walking in that was, oh, it was so transformative. It was hard. But then like every day, every week that passed, I was like, wow, I literally made it two weeks without hooking up with somebody. I made it three months. Like you just grow in this, like, <laughs> what is this? Especially when you've known the bad fruit, when you've known the enslavement, focusing on the disciplines to walk in freedom. As the word of God says, as you've been made free, ensure that you stay free. Like walking in those disciplines to stay free just changed everything. So I'm curious, after all that time of acting out on those desires to try to fill that spot, and then the Holy Spirit's like, let me fill the spot, and you make it kissless till Christmas. It's it's a Hallmark movie just waiting (laughs) to happen, but uh, if if in title only. Um, (laughs) What was the role? Because like you said, that that is a struggle. It wasn't just you had this moment and then it was like, oh, and that was easy. What right. was the role of other people in your life, friends, um, that helped anchor that desire to make it through a time where you could find your sanity again? Right. So here's the most embarrassing confession. Um, <laughs> when I tell you I was zealous the hour I came to believe, I, I forgot any form of reputation. (laughs) I was like, (laughs) Jesus is amazing. And I will make a fool of myself in the process. I created a Facebook group called kissless till next Christmas with the most ridiculous profile picture of me holding a cross. And then my finger over my lips, like, no, no, no. And I sent (laughs) it to 5,000 Facebook friends I had at the time. Mind you, this is like the height of my athletic career at LSU. I was an All-American. I've been sports-centered, top plays, like standout athlete. I sent it to 5,000 people. Join the group, Kissless till next Christmas. Jesus is amazing and he wants to be our bridegroom. I mean, just over the top. No one joined. My mother did not even join. No one, wait, no one out of 5,000 joined? single person joined my Facebook group. I'll need to go back and fact check that if that group still exists. But you know what? In my heart of hearts, there was just, I didn't care. I had the public accountability. Like I'd said it, right? There's so much power in just voicing something. And whether that's to one person in our life or whether that's through an awkward Facebook group of 5,000, I don't advise. But for me, that's what the case. I I had people aware and that form of accountability, whether intimate or whether public, it it carried weight, right? Like people were gonna see me if I was then up in the bars two weeks later being Mm -hmm. who I used to be. Like people were going to hear there was a new weight if I was trying to sneak someone in, you know, behind closed doors. And so I think accountability becomes really key in that. But in the same regard, like I just said, no one joined. I didn't have anyone else around me in college at LSU. Are you kidding me? I didn't personally know anyone else around me that cared to pursue the same things. And sometimes in our life, we have to be okay with that. 
And we have to be willing to still walk worthy of the gospel. I, I just remember in that intimacy fast discovering like, it, I don't need 10 girlfriends to tell me this is for my best. I need the, the voice of the, the father to call me home and I'll run even if I'm the only one running. Right. And, and so it helped to have that public accountability. It took me time. Eventually the Lord brought people that were cheering me on. Like I wasn't in, I wasn't rolling with a group of believers when I made that mm-hmm. commitment over time, as I separated myself from the very people that were so instrumental in my sin cycles, mm-hmm. I, the Lord sent believers. He sent the body. He sent me community that cheered me forward. But I just think it's so key that we understand there may be gaps and margins in time where we don't have a team of support surrounding us. Is your life, your walk, your heart, your body, your redemption worth it to still fight through those periods to draw near to the heart of God? We have to ask ourselves that. It it was only in saying yes to that that I made it two weeks three months, six months. Well, I made it a year. It went on two years. That's how good that time was with the Lord. Well, and, and shedding of the companions of your sin was Mm -hmm. probably important. And I have to think that you being an athlete, you knew how to make goals and say, this will require certain disciplines. I'm not going to be able to go play soccer and just be like, well, I already, I, I got the technique, so I don't have to, you know, I'll, I'll just show up on game day. Like this, right. is a, this became a daily process, but your mind was probably already wired for daily processes. Yes. I, I would definitely say that all of those things played and continue to play a huge part in a faithful walk. Like, mm. To, to And that goes beyond just sexual healing and wholeness and restoration. That's like every area of our faith walk. We, it's blessed, it's benefited me to have that mindset. Um, and and I, it, it did play a big part in like, I remember when I was nine years old, I told my parents, if they would help me and support me in soccer, I would get a college scholarship. I was nine. And because I saw my neighbor get a scholarship, And I thought it was amazing from nine to when I signed a college scholarship at whatever age I was, I think I committed as a sophomore or junior in high school. Um, I, it was my, it was what I was committed to. Right. And so when we, when we decide I'm walking in a manner worthy of what's been done on my behalf, like worthy of this redemption, it's, it's, it's a decision we stick to until we see the good fruit and we walk in the freedom and we know the healing and it takes discipline. Um, it takes denial. It takes rejection. It takes people slandering you. It takes mocking. It takes trusting God. Um, there was such a season of trust that was grown out of that because there were, there were more ways that people had more on me that could have just destroyed me. Photos sent, videos sent. Think about all the things when we're living in certain ways. And I had to trust the Lord that he would preserve me and protect me. And he never let me down. He, he never failed. And so we have to just decide and we have to walk in it. And that goes to many, many areas and disciplines in our life. And it's certainly in this space. Well, Mo, how do people get get to know what you're doing? 
get in touch with, uh, well, connect with your books, connect with you? Where do they go? What do they do? Sure. You can go to moisom.com. That really has everything. It's a one-stop shop on the resources. You can see the book titles, check them out. It'll lead you to Amazon. Spell Isom, just in case, unlike me and Nate, people might (laughs) wonder how to spell that. Yes. It's M-O-Mo Isom. It's just I-S-O-M. So Mo is, and then Mo backwards, (laughs) M-O-I-S-O-M. Uh, and that has it all on the website. I'm pretty active on social media, on Instagram, um, just at Mo Isom. And then our family just last year, we mobilized on mission for the gospel and uh, birthed a, a mission known as Fifth Wheel Missions. And so um, we're traveling all over the country in our RV. If you see a fifth wheel rolling down the interstate wave, it's probably us. We live full time mm-hmm. on the road and people can check out on Instagram to uh, Fifth Wheel Missions. Well, Mo, I just wish you had come with a little more passion and intensity. It's been kind of low. Uh, <laughs> I just have so few words, right? I don't ramble at all. Uh, you know, <laughs> it was great. I appreciate your story and your passion a lot. Thank you. Thank you guys for having me on. And listeners, stay with us. We'll be back in just a moment on the Pirate Monk Podcast. Welcome back, friends and neighbors, to the Pirate Monk Podcast. (laughs) Don't laugh at me. (laughs) I'm spreading my wings. It's a beautiful day in the neighborhood. Yeah. (laughs) Well, that was fun. I I thought we were going to talk more about soccer, but we were having too much fun talking about other things. Plus, neither Uh, soccer players anyway. So, what would we have to add to that? I know, I know, I know. I'm, I still, I'm still a little unclear on the rules. So I'm glad we went. I, I'm much more familiar with porn than I am with soccer. So I'm glad we went where we went. Well, you, you know, I was a soccer coach for like six years for my kids, right? Mm-hmm. I had never played soccer. I had to Google each week. My kids kept getting called offside, so I'd have to YouTube what exactly <laughs> is offside, so I could teach them for the next game. <laughs> but we had a great time. Okay. So, good. so yes, if our listeners want, uh, as Mo mentioned, she was the sports center athlete of the week or whatever. You should look up that YouTube video of, uh, she was a goalie and she kicked a 90 yard goal from one end of the field to the other <laughs> in a game. Wow. And wow. then she became the sports center, uh, athlete of the week. Amazing. Absolutely amazing. I totally agree when you mentioned the passion on her face when she's talking mm-hmm, about mm-hmm, other mm-hmm. people experiencing this and like yeah, just not yeah. even passion. It was it was just joy. It was yeah, just yeah. joy. And what a fun thing yeah. to see in someone. You know, especially when we hit periods of life where it feels like, oh, I don't really remember what lighthearted joy feels like at the moment. It's mm-hmm. nice to remember it's still out there. Yes, it is. Yeah. Well, uh, I have been experiencing quite a bit of that joy today. Uh, and this conversation has been a big part of it. And I'm looking forward to many more in the future. The calendar is full. Uh, Justin Schwind has gone to, oh boy, we got some big guests coming up. I'm not going to, I'm not going to 
tip off who we've got coming, but we got some some more great guests on the way. You know, I don't think it matters what size the guests are. They can still be enjoyable to talk to. There could be small guests, big guests, uh, any size guests. <laughs> I feel like you're going down a slippery slope right now, Nate. Okay. All right. Uh, I'll take that rebuke. <laughs> but if you want to rebuke Nate, send us an email to piratemonkpodcast at gmail.com. Uh, with your thoughts, your questions, whatever. And we love to get them and hear from you and talk about whatever you want to touch on here on the show. All right. Well, that that does it for this episode. Until next time, I'm Nate. I'm Aaron. And we are your pals on the Pirate Monk Podcast. The Pirate Monk Podcast is produced by members of the Samson Society. Send your feedback or questions to piratemonkpodcast at gmail.com. Please give us a five-star review on iTunes and share the podcast with a friend. For more information, please visit samsonsociety.com. <laughs>